Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good evening, everyone. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here at Renaissance. Welcome to Renaissance. Yeah, welcome to Renaissance. I, I, I expect a little, a little more liveliness out of the 6 p.m. crowd. You've had all day to sleep. So get here and be excited. Welcome to Renaissance. Yeah. Not that excited, though. No, that was great. We love that you're here. What we do every Sunday at this time during our gathering is study the Bible together. And at the beginning of this year, we started studying the book of Genesis together. And, and when we study the Bible, what we see is that it's full of different stories about people's lives. See, the Bible is one book comprised of 66 different books, and these books are broken up into different sections. And the book of Genesis is a part of a larger section of five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these five books were written by a man named Moses, and Moses wrote them for a nation that called themselves the children of Israel, and he wrote it to them to give them an, a history of their origins and how God created the world and how he'd established them as his chosen people and how he wanted to build his kingdom on the earth through them. And so Moses writes these stories of people's lives, and what we see all throughout them is that they often end up having to go to places that they would not have chosen to go to. They often end up having to do things that they wished they hadn't had to do. Have you ever had to go somewhere you wished you hadn't went? Some of you are thinking about that right now. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. This will be over before you know it. But How about going someplace that you wish you hadn't gone? Have you ever done that? Every time you go to McDonald's, you, you do that. I left the drive-thru of McDonald's once and pulled into a parking spot because I had to stop and ask God to forgive me for what I was about to do. <laughs> True story. Every time we go to McDonald's, we wish we hadn't have gone. How about going to uncomfortable places? Some of you feel uncomfortable in church. And, and we know that that's true, and, and we try to be mindful of that and, and thoughtful towards you when you feel uncomfortable in church. How about going to the doctor? I haven't been to the doctor in years, promise, years, because it makes me so uncomfortable to go. In fact, when I was a little kid, they used to tell me all the time, your blood pressure's high, nine years old, you have high blood pressure. Of course I do, you make me uncomfortable. <laughs> None of us want to go to uncomfortable Places like that, like the Brass Horn, the clothing shop here downtown. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a great place. When you go in there, they treat you so well. 
You don't even say you want to try on a coat before they've taken it off the rack and put it on you and put you in front of a mirror. They treat you like a king when you go inside that place, and that's what makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather shop at Target where none of the employees want to talk to me and ask me if I need any help. But we don't want to go to uncomfortable places because we love our comfort so much. We, we love feeling good about life. We set our lives up to maintain our comfort. We get up in the morning and we go to work because we want to maintain a level of comfort in our lives. You may have said on your way to church, we better try and get there early so we find a comfortable seat. <laughs> when you buy a car, you ask, is it going to be comfortable enough for me to sit in it? Does it have heated seats? When people buy homes, they look for comfort in the home. Does it have heated toilet seats? <laughs> we want comfort in our lives and we hate to get rid of it. But when we read the Bible, we see the stories of people whose lives were full of uncomfortable moments. And, and looking back, we can see the bigger picture because we see it after the fact but at the time, they thought their uncomfortability was difficult, but we can look back and see that God was actually orchestrating it to make something beautiful, to make something for his glory, and to do something to build his kingdom on this earth. This is what we find in the story we'll be reading today in Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of a city or a tower that we call the Tower of Babel, and it's a group of people who gathered together and decided they were going to cloister themselves in comfort and defiance of God's commands. And we see, we'll see how God used their uncomfortability to eventually change the world. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, look up on the screens here. We'll put the words up there. You can also use your smartphone to find the Bible app and look up Genesis 11 there. But some of you want to hold a book in your hands when you read it, like I do. And for those of you who are like that, you can look under the seat around you and find a hardback black Bible and turn to page eight in that Bible. And if you don't own a Bible of your own, we actually want you to take that home with you. We love to give Bibles away here to people who don't have them. We had to buy a new case of them last week because people take Bibles every week. People are always coming in who don't own a Bible. We love to give them away. So if you don't have one, please take one with you. But for now, turn to page 8 in it while we study Genesis chapter 11. And it says in verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off or stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, not because they babbled on to one another afterwards. 
thank you for laughing at that good joke. (laughs) And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's uh, quite a story here in Genesis chapter 11. So before we go in and study it, would you take a moment and pray with me and ask God to help us understand what he wants us to know tonight? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we have uh, the Bible as our guide to understand who you are. We're thankful that you've given us this book to know how you relate with people, to know how you have have worked in people's lives for centuries. And we pray that as we read it tonight, we would know more about you through it. We pray that we would know more about your son Jesus, that you would teach us more about his love for us and that, that any fear we have of, of uncomfortable things would be washed away by the truth of who Jesus is. I pray that you would help us to see that and understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 11, verse 1, it says, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Can you imagine a world where there's no misunderstanding or miscommunication amongst people? And I'm not even thinking linguistically. We, we, most of us in this room all speak the same language and we misunderstand one another most of the time. Can you imagine a place where there's never any miscommunication? I can't imagine it. And I can imagine that the married people in the room say, I could never imagine a place where there's no miscommunication or no, or no misunderstanding in the world. But the Bible says that this was what the world was like. They all had one language and the same words. There was no misunderstanding amongst the people there. Verse 2 says, as they migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. This land of Shinar is what is known in your history books as the land of Mesopotamia. And that word just means between two rivers. It's between the Tigris and Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. And this land is often called the cradle of civilization. It's a fertile plain between these two rivers. And because of its agriculture there, many great ancient civilizations rose and fell in that land. That's why they call it the cradle of civilization. Lots of civilization, lots of government, lots of ideas that we still have in the world now came from this part of the world. And they traveled there because they wanted to build their city. Verse three, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, these building details are important because he's using, he's referencing two different types of building materials, brick and stone. And he says of these men, who built the Tower of Babel, that they used this brick for stone or instead of stone to build this city. Now, the reason this is important for us to catch is because Moses, who wrote these books, is leading this nation, the children of Israel, out of slavery in a land called Egypt. They had been enslaved there by the king of Egypt for many years, and part of their task as the king's slaves, was to build bricks for him to complete his building projects. And so they would take this mud and turn it into clay and mix it with straw and bake it in the sun. And this baked clay block would become a brick that they would then build something with for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And while they're there, they complain about this happening. We don't want to build these bricks anymore, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, oh, you don't? Well, guess what? Now your quota's doubled. You have to make twice as many bricks in one day. 
And then they complain some more. And he says, oh, you don't like that either? Well, now you have to find your own mortar to mix with the bricks. And he's increasing their hardship over and over and over again until they finally cry out to God for help. And when they cry out to God for help, God asks this man, Moses, to go rescue them. And to make a long story short, he leads them out of this nation. And they find themselves wandering in the desert for 40 years. 40 years they wander through this desert land. And while they're wandering, they find themselves complaining often about what it's like in the desert. Moses, we're too hot. Moses, we have no food. Moses, we have no water. It's so terrible here. And when Moses writes this book of Genesis, it's probably sometime while they're wandering through this desert. And I can't help but wonder that he places this little reminder of the brick and the mortar in here to remind them what it was like when they were still making bricks for the cruel king of Egypt. So how easy is it for us as followers of Jesus to look at our circumstances and complain about how difficult they are and wonder where God is and question if he cares about us and, and ask him, why do I have to go through this? Why must I experience this pain? If only we would look back at what our life was like before we knew Jesus and compare it how much better it is now that we're not in slavery to our sinfulness we would complain a lot less. And I can't help but wonder if Moses is trying to catch their attention and remind them, you want to complain here in the desert because it's hot, but do you remember when you had to build bricks all day for Pharaoh? Do you remember when you were his slave? God has set you free, is what he's reminding them. And let that be a reminder to all of us as well who follow Jesus when we encounter uncomfortable things. God has set us free from our sin. We have eternal hope and joy through Jesus. And so we can be glad about him regardless of what is happening in our lives. Verse 4, it says, they, come, let us build ourselves a city. They're going to take these bricks and build themselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They say, we want to feel very safe, and we want to look very good while doing it. It's the ancient equivalent of driving a Hummer. <laughs> I want to be very safe. I want to look very good while I'm doing it. And it's this desire to cloister themselves alone in this city that upsets God. And here's why. If you remember last week, Pastor Jeff talked about a man named Noah. This man, Noah, was commanded by God to build a boat to save his family from floodwaters that would soon come upon the earth. And eventually the floodwaters came and they filled the entire earth. And Noah and his family were saved by this boat, this ark that he'd built. And when the ark finally rested on a mountain, their family came out of this ark. And God spoke to them and said, now that you are the only people left on the earth, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have lots of children. And I want your children to have lots of children. I want your grandchildren to have lots of children because I want you all to fill the earth. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's always been God's desire to build his kingdom on this earth, and it's always been his desire to do it through people. 
people who are made in his image, people who look like him. And so he's going to fill the earth with his likeness, with people. And these people at the Tower of Babel say, we're going to build ourselves a city and we're going to climb safely within its walls so that we're not dispersed throughout all the earth because we don't want to fill the earth like God commanded us to do. And it's this disobedience to God that upsets him. And it all stems from a desire for security and praise from other people. What we see all throughout the Bible and in our own lives is that as God's trying to build his kingdom, there's always a kingdom that is set up in opposition to it. We look at events that are happening into the world and we see that there's, there's a kingdom that is set up in opposition to God's. We look at the crazy people in our family and we know that there's a kingdom that is set up in opposition to God's kingdom, but we look within our own hearts and see that there is a kingdom set up in opposition to God's that, that I call mine, my kingdom. A man is always attempting to build a kingdom that is opposed to God's kingdom because we think we know better, don't we? We think we have it all figured out, but the difference between God and us is that he sees the end from the beginning. He knows everything from all angles. There's nothing that slips by him. And so his kingdom is ultimately good because he's true. And because he knows all things. And our kingdoms, the structures that we build up, are limited and will fail because we're limited and we don't know all things. We see this desire to maintain this kingdom here at the Tower of Babel is propelled by their acts of self-sufficiency and and self-reliance. We're going to build this city with a tower that reaches into the heavens. We're going to keep ourselves safe. We're going to fill in the blank. And we can look at our own lives and say the same thing. What am I trying to build up because I'm afraid that God's not going to take care of me? Because I don't trust him. Because, because I'm worried that he actually doesn't see everything. I'm worried that he doesn't see the big picture. I'm worried that he doesn't really care about me or love me. And so we build structures of self-sufficiency and, and self-reliance and we behave as though we don't need God and we reject his ideas and his commands because we do think we know best. Though if we're honest with ourselves and look back at our track records... He's got a better record of success than we do. But it's so easy for us to forget that he's in control because we want to put our hands on all the things. They refused to obey God here. And they built this tower and built this kingdom and it was their love of comfort. Their love of staying cloistered and secluded in the confines of their safe little kingdom that kept them from obeying God's will. It kept God's will to fill the earth. It kept God's kingdom from being established on the earth, from happening. And when that occurs, he will find a way to stop it. 
because he will establish his kingdom. This, this love of comfort that they had that kept them from obeying God's will is completely opposite of who Jesus is. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the one who created all of the universe, the one, the one who formed the galaxies with his hands, the one who created this earth, the one who made each one of us, that he lived in heaven and he left heaven, left heaven where he was safe and secure and received praise 24-7. He left that place and came to this earth as a baby, the most vulnerable of all of us. And he was born in a stable and placed in a feeding trough because his parents couldn't even afford a crib. There's nothing to sing praise about that situation. There's nothing that would make us look at that situation and say, wow, what a mighty king that is born in a stable. But that's the way God's kingdom works. It looks so different from ours does. We want security and praise. And Jesus says, my kingdom is built on sacrifice and pain. And so he leaves heaven and he comes to earth. And the Bible tells us that he emptied himself. He laid his glory aside and put on human flesh, showing us that this is what God's kingdom really looks like. It doesn't look like power. It doesn't look like mighty structures of influence. It looks like a baby lying in a feeding trough, weak and helpless. And eventually he gives his life for us. If we go on to read in verse chapter five, it says the Lord came down to see the city. When, when they built this tower, they said, we want to build it so that it reaches to the heavens where they believed God lived. And their plan was that they could do something that would get to where God was, that they could build something that could take them to where God was living. And it's kind of funny because it says the Lord still had to come down and look at the tower. We can do all that we think we can do to reach God, but there's nothing any of us can do to get to where he is. This is why he came down. This is why Jesus had to come here because we could never get to him. There's nothing we could ever do to reach him. He had to come and reach us. And so he comes down here where we are and he eventually gave his life for all of our sins and rose from the dead so that we could have hope in eternal life and see that his kingdom is built on its king giving its life. This strikes directly at the heart of our desire for security, our desire for comfort, our desire for ease when we see the life that Jesus lived and how he gave his life for us. In verse six, it says, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. I liked to imagine for a minute that they weren't ultimately malicious when they built this Tower of Babel, that perhaps their long-term goal was to fill the earth. 
But what if they said, first we need to cloister ourselves in this city. First, we need to grow our defenses. First, we need to come into this place and and gain a lot of strength and become a mighty nation. And then from there, we can go fill the earth. What if that was, in fact, their goal, giving them the benefit of the doubt for a moment? We know that God sees all things from the beginning to the end, and so he wasn't happy with that idea because he knows that Nothing is impossible for us to do if we're on his side. This was his estimation of these people who are in disobedience to him. Whatever they decide to do, nothing will be impossible for them. And so he had to stop them in their tracks. I wonder how many of us are, are refusing to obey God and step out of an uncomfortable, step out of our comfort zone and into an uncomfortable place because we think it's so impossible what he wants us to do. Because we think we don't have the ability to follow through with it. Because we we think we we can't finish it because we don't, don't have the skill to do it. The truth is we don't. We don't. But that's the great thing about it. If if God asks us to do it, nothing is impossible with him. And for these people building this tower, God stopped it. But you know what did happen? They filled the earth. And he accomplished his purpose. And he wants to do it through people whom he can use so he can show the world that his power is greater than man's and that he does impossible things. And so they hide within the walls of the city because they... Don't believe that they can do it. And we, like them, become frozen in our inaction because of our fear of failure. We've already spoken of our love of comfort, but sometimes we're frozen in inaction because of our self-loathing. We don't think we're good enough, or we don't think we're skilled enough, or we don't think we have enough intelligence to follow through with it. But what God asks us to do, he will help us accomplish. Verse seven, it says that God said, come let us go down and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So he took this perfect picture of communication and no misunderstanding amongst them and he messed that up by changing their languages so that now since they can no longer understand one another they can no longer work together and since they can't work together they can't accomplish the building of this city and he scatters them from that place and it causes them great harm and it causes them great difficulty but I want us to see that this was not his goal their pain Their confusion was not his goal. His goal was to fill the earth. But sometimes we don't see the things that he sees and we refuse to move where he wants us to move. And so we stay put where we are until something has to shake us up and push us out of that place. And oftentimes it takes pain to move us on to where God would want us to go. It says in verse 8 that the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they stopped building the city. They can no longer speak to one another. They can no longer communicate. They can no longer finish building this city. And so God says, now I'm going to take them and fill the earth with them. But it 
came at great cost for them. If we fast forward many hundreds of years into the future and look into the book of Acts in the New Testament, we'll see a story about a group of people. We refer to them as the first Christians, the first believers in Jesus, where Jesus says to them, I want you to take the message of my truth and of my love, and I want you to share it. I want you to share it here in this city, Jerusalem. He said, I want you to take it to the surrounding region. And he said, I want you to take it from there into the neighboring regions and then even to the ends of the earth. I want you to fill the earth with my truth. Fill the earth with the message of my love. It takes several chapters in the book of Acts and and years actually pass in the story before we see any of them leaving the city of Jerusalem and taking the message of Jesus to those places Jesus commanded them to go. And it isn't until an uncomfortable event occurs, it isn't until some pain comes their way and shakes things up that they eventually leave, the Bible says that they were scattered or dispersed from where they were. And this event was the murder of a man named Stephen, who was murdered for his faith in Jesus. And I read that and I can't help but ask myself, what what has to die in my life before I'll finally obey him? What is he going to have to take away and shake up before I'll finally give in? Most of us who who think God is speaking to us, most of us who followed Jesus for some time and, and have an idea of what his voice sounds like to us, we know when he's talking to us. We know when God wants us to do something. We know when he says to not do something. He's a really good shepherd. And he does a really good job of leading his sheep. The Holy Spirit is a really good guide. And he does a really good job of guiding God's children. And so we usually know when he's speaking to us. And when we're disobeying, we make all kinds of excuses as to why we wouldn't do it. And the list of options could be very broad as to what God's asking us to do. It could be to have a conversation with that coworker that you know will be difficult. It could be having a conversation with a family member that you need to be reconciled with. But, but we stand back and we don't want to do what God is asking us to do because of how uncomfortable it will make us. But because he always wants to accomplish his purposes and build his kingdom in this earth, he will find a way to take us into that place. I don't believe for a moment that the persecution that came on the church after the death of Stephen made God rejoice. I don't believe for a moment that the confusion the people went through at the Tower of Babel made God rejoice. I don't believe for a moment that your illness makes God rejoice. I don't believe for a moment that your divorce makes God rejoice. I don't believe for a moment that he's rejoicing at our pain and at our suffering. But I do think he wants to take those things and use them to propel us to where he wants us to go. Many times we don't even see that that's what he's been doing until we look back and realize that that was his plan all along. That he used that, that horrible thing to make something beautiful. Jesus saved the world by dying a brutal, 
nasty death. Stripped of his clothes, his skin flailed off of his body, nailed to a cross and raised up for everyone to see. That brutal and ugly moment saved the world from its sins. God desires to put purpose to our pain and it makes it worth it. We just don't see it in the moment, but it's on us to trust him that that's what he's up to while we're going through it. It says in verse 9 that this place was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. That's what Babel means, confusion. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. You see, they wanted to make a name for themselves. If you remember, that's what one of their goals was. We're going to build this city, and we're going to be safe here, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And the name that they wound up with was confusion. That is not a vacation destination for me, the city of confusion. And perhaps they had dreams of calling this the greatest city on earth. Perhaps they had dreams of calling it the tallest tower on earth. But because of their disobedience to God's command, it wound up being called the city of confusion. The place where God had to step in and intervene and and get his will done because his people refused to do what he wanted. See, we often have plans that that we think are are great, and maybe they are, but if, if God is not behind them and he, in fact, has other plans, he will find a way to make it happen. And it's usually in retrospect that we see that his plans were for the better. How many of us have experienced something that we thought was the worst thing that ever happened to us? And, and we can look back and say sometime later, wow, that was actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And we see God's fingerprints all over it later. It's just hard to notice them in the moment. We have to trust him while we're going through it. As I was studying this week, I came across the story of a man who was born around 1690, a coffee merchant by the name of Andreas Abel. He was born in a a city called Kassel, Germany. And in the early 18th century, this part of Germany suffered many invasions from French troops. And it became so difficult for the people living there that many of them fled that region for safer places. And many of them, thousands of them, found themselves on the shores of England. And when they arrived, they said, I'm sorry, we have no room for you here on this small island. But we, we happen to have this new piece of land we bought called America. And, and we would love for you to go there and we'll give you some land if you'll do some work for us. So many of these German immigrants, refugees, they got on boats and traveled to America. And landing in New York Harbor, this Andreas Abel took his coffee shop and found himself in what is now New Jersey. And he built a life there. He built a home there. He, had, he built his family there. His kids were born there. And many of them spread throughout the United States. And he passed on his love for coffee to his great, 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 great grandson, Joseph Arthur Awful. (laughs) And so as I'm reading this story about my great times eight grandpa who suffered before he was brought here, it made me wonder what would have happened had he never 
suffered? Had the French never invaded Kassel, Germany, would he never have left? And if he'd never left, would I even exist? Probably not. And then it made me very glad that he suffered. <laughs> That's very selfish of me, I know. But if we all think about our ancestry and how our, our families came to this place or, or wherever we live, if we think about that and what brought them there, perhaps they were brought here forcibly. Perhaps they came of their own volition. Perhaps something difficult brought them here like it did with Andreas. Whatever it was, if they hadn't found themselves here, I could imagine that many of us would not exist. Or we'd be half one person, half another person. I don't know how that works, actually, but could you imagine what life would be like if those things hadn't happened? And I'm sure at the time, he was not excited about the invasion into his land, the plundering of his goods, the danger that his family went through, his friends who probably perished, many of them died on the trip across the Atlantic. I'm sure none of that made him happy, but I look back and I say, I thank God for the French invasion of Kassel, Germany. We can all look back at the story of the Tower in Babel and say, thank God he scattered them from that place. We can all look back in the book of Acts and say, thank God that persecution scattered the church because now we get to believe now fill in the blank with whatever uncomfortable situation is facing you and, and consider that who in the future will say, thank God that happened because now I get to believe. Thank God that happened because I saw God do something great through it. The band is going to be returning here in a moment. And when they do, we're going to have time to to sing and worship Jesus again. We're gonna have time to pray together. And during that time, I'm, I'm going to be taking a few moments and asking myself a few questions. And, and I wanna invite you all to ask themselves with me. Ask yourselves these questions with me. First question is, what am I building? What, what am I spending energy on? What am, I, what am I putting blood, sweat, and tears into? What, what is keeping me up at night? What is taking my time? What keeps me anxious? What am I building? And when I've realized what I'm building, I'm going to ask myself this question. Why am I building it? Am I, am I building it because I think it's going to keep me safe and secure? Am I building it because I want other people to praise me because I've done a good job? Am I building it because I have some weird self-righteous mandate that says I have to follow through on everything I do? Or am I building it because God has asked me to build it? Because if God has asked me to build it, then all of the pain and all of the discomfort, all of the confusion that sometimes comes is worth it. Because we know it has a purpose. I mentioned earlier these bricks that were being used to build the Tower of Babel. And it's interesting that Moses made the distinction between brick and stone. See, these, these ancient people in Mesopotamia would build large towers out of these bricks that would reach to the sky. And at the top of this tower, they would place a temple to one of their gods. And they often built them out of these clay bricks. They built their worship on these clay, destructible bricks. 
But when Moses later orders the children of Israel to build a temple to the one true God, he says, you're going to build it out of stone, not bricks that crumble, but stone that will endure. So when I've answered the question, what am I building and why am I building it? I'm going to ask myself, what am I building it on? Am I, am I building it on things that are going to crumble, that, that, that are faulty, that are unsure and uncertain and unstable? Or am I building it on the, the certain and sure surface of God's love for me? Of the truth that, that no matter what, he loves me. No matter what, he's good. Whether I obey him or disobey him, whether I'm righteous or sinful, he loves me. And if that's the foundation of what I'm building, the structure will be secure. And so as we take these next few moments to worship together, let's ask God to show us what our foundation looks like. And if it's made of crumbling things, sweep them away and stand on the truth of who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus is a secure foundation. We're so thankful that his love is a strong and safe place to build our lives on. I thank you that your love never changes, that it never wavers, that it never falters. Even though we change and waver, though our faith can be weak one day and strong the next, though we can feel so in love with you one day and so distant from you the next, you never change. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly believe it. And on seeing and believing that your love never changes, Lord, may we behave accordingly. May we take great care to let you lead what we're building. May we take great care to let you guide what we're doing with our lives. And may we give ourselves completely to building your kingdom on this earth love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.